0: This is Transistor.fm. Hey everyone, welcome to Build Your Sass. This is the the behind-the-scenes story of building a web app in 2020. I'm John Buda, a software engineer. And I'm Justin
1: Jackson. I do product and marketing. Follow along as we build Transistor.fm. John this week we have another guest?
0: We do, huh? Yes, I
1: right. I You
0: cut you cut me out again, I see.
1: <laughs> well, on Friday on Friday you were like I'm in the zone. So I was like, well,
0: yeah, I was I was in the code. And
1: I I wanted to talk to Josh at Barometrics anyway. Uh folks will remember they do analytics, revenue analytics for SaaS companies. And I wanted to call him up and get a sense of how this pandemic and looming recession, if that's already started to affect SaaS companies and how, you know, we can only see our data, but he has aggregate data for lots of companies. And his answers were interesting. Um, Let's listen to that now.
0: Uh, Yeah, awesome. Awesome.
1: I mean, the upside—we're spending a lot more time as a family than we normally
2: do. (laughs) Well, that's that's, some days that's an upside. Other days, it's like "Mm, I enjoy us all being completely separate. Oh yeah, yes,
1: yeah, yeah. There's it's one thing at a time for sure. And uh, how are things going with your team and with the business?
2: Yeah, I feel like we're probably similar in the same boat as a lot of other SaaS companies, like, um. We saw probably our biggest loss that we've had in a long, long time in the past four weeks, but probably not as bad as some SaaS companies. I mean, I've, I've you know I've heard of a lot who have lost like you know ten to twenty percent of their entire you know monthly revenue in the past few weeks. So we're at like two or three percent down.
1: So so that and that's actual MRR yeah, that you've lost. That's right. Not, not too bad overall. Not
2: too bad overall. I mean, it puts us in to like in January, I hired three new people. So like that, and that was predicated on like even even like all our forecasting, we were hiring a, a head of revenue, but not by a ton. And, you know, we've pretty consistently had some level of growth for every, just about every month. So it's like okay, like that's fine. I'm comfortable with like spending that money that we've got in the bank a little early, and then we'll make up for it. And then you know whatever that is, two months later, like everything's hitting the fan. So that puts us in a uh, that's we're in a tight spot there. So like I've applied for the U.S. like paycheck protection stuff, um, but I mean half our team is not even in the U.S., so like they don't even qualify for that. But like you know it'll help some.
1: Like metrics has some aggregate, anonymized data for your customers, right? Are you seeing any trends like, uh, and I don't even, I'm not very good with data. I don't know how you analyze it. Do you add and analyze it by median or averages? But are you seeing anything right now that is, I don't know, noteworthy or not really?
2: I don't know, like probably nothing outside of what you would expect. Um, I think it's like pretty much across the board. Everybody's losing money or customers, um, mm-hmm. some more than others. And a lot of that's like industry specific. Um, you know, like the closer you are to the consumer side or like the prosumer side, typically and there's always anomalies. You're going to see a lot more MRR loss um, just because a lot of those people are already like Probably operating on pretty thin thin margins or you know don't have a lot of extra expenses that they can really absorb or they're just more easily sort of freaked out about you know some sort of recession or anything like that um, so that's I mean that's probably you know a, a little bit of something that's kind of like pretty consistent but I mean at the same time it's just like everybody's what what we're seeing a lot of is like people. Is cancellations due to either their own business drying up, or them just taking being um, cautious and trying to, you know, tighten up cash flow?
1: One of the things that that's so been so tricky about this, I think, for SaaS companies is, well, first of all, so many of us are new; like we've never gone through a recession right. before. Yeah. You know, even um, uh i heard you know nathan berry was talking about how he was thinking through convert kit stuff and he's pretty young and and he he remembers the last recession in 2008 i think he was saying and but he he wasn't an, an operator then and now you, we have this new crop of sas owners you know the other weird thing about sas is that it feels like there's like our crop of SaaS, which I am a late comer to, so like you've been, how long have you been doing Barometric? Uh,
2: this is we're in our seventh year.
1: Seventh year, okay. So I, you know, we're we're recent, right? And but before like this crop of SaaS owners, it's like it only feels like there's like five people. Yeah. <laughs> Like and Jason Freed and Jason Cohen and Rob Walling and Peldy right <laughs> and Natalie Natalie you know, like there's but there's like it, it just doesn't doesn't feel like that group's that big you know and I don't know how they're thinking about it maybe they're just so because some of your resiliency must come from like at a certain point the numbers matter like if you're doing. Whatever five million dollars a month in MRR, and you've got whatever Basecamp has thirty people or whatever. You you must have a lot of more margin in there just because the numbers are bigger. As long as you haven't, you know, your your costs are relatively static, right? But I don't know. Maybe they're dying right now. I mean,
2: the problem is like it depends on. So for us, it's like the the lion's share of our expenses is in payroll. So you know, we don't have the overhead, we're like a typical remote company in that we don't have some like massive office rent. Um, like our, probably the biggest expense for us after payroll would be like infrastructure, kind of like, you know, servers. And I mean, that's, that's not, that stuff's, you know, tens of thousands a month, but like, it's still not anywhere close to payroll. And so when you're talking about like needing to really move the needle on bridging the gap, um, you don't have a lot of wiggle room depending on how close you're operating to. I mean, if you're, if you're just pumping out tons of profit every month, well, great. You're, you're fine. Um, but it just depends on like where, where your expenses are really tied up in. Like, I think the, the nice part, there's some, there's a lot, especially like in the e-commerce world, most of your expenses are typically tied up in either like marketing costs. Um, Where you're basically having to pay to acquire every single purchase and customer, which you can turn that down, but that a lot of times also dries up your ability to spend money to 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 source products and produce stuff. So I don't know. That's like a weird chain of events. But like on the SaaS side, you know, usually the margins are really good, but it just depends on how. um, This is why like every SaaS company ultimately goes out of business, uh, or all the SaaS companies that go out of business, it's almost always because uh, of payroll like their inability to you know they can't just turn that off right like yeah. you can't adjust that knob yeah. very easily yeah
1: and so how are you personally thinking about riding this out like are are you pretty scared or are you feeling how are you feeling right now
2: so i we've forecasted out a few different scenarios um i mean there are scenarios where like we run out of money um unless something changes. Um, But like, that's like, that's not like the, a scenario where like that happens in like the next month or two months or six months, even like we we've got um, a decent amount of cash in the bank and some runway to like figure some things out. Um, So where we're at now is, um, and not every scenario results in us running out of money. Like that's some of like the really pessimistic stuff. Does, but like, we've also got plenty of scenarios where we don't grow at all and we're fine. Um, so I think that, but what, what that's led to is like, so I've talked to the team about that. Um, and where, where we're all sort of at is like feeling, I think like we sort of rallied the troops and everybody feels like, okay, there's some things that we had wanted to focus on, but we can't like now the, the focus needs to be on retention and you know growth when that's possible but like what we need to try to not do is lose a ton of customers so Mm -hmm. you know it's like well that's the focus and so we'll focus a lot on that instead of you know trying to go get a bunch of new customers um because like the new customer stuff is always like a bit of a crapshoot and you're just trying stuff and seeing what sticks um but right now we've got a pretty big hole in the bucket that we need to 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 plug up as much as possible. You know, given the circumstances.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Are you using your your forecasting tool to forecast some of your cash flow stuff?
2: Yeah. So what sort of like we use? So there's a I guess app now. I don't know. He was it was one guy when we started using him a few years ago. Um, but so they have an app called Flight Path that ties into mm-hmm. bare Metrics. Like it pulls in bare Metrics data for it. But it also, mm-hmm. the big thing with it is it's pulling in um, expense. Like, it ties into QuickBooks, too. So mm. it's much more on the accounting side of forecasting. Um, and mm-hmm. it's in, like, just super detailed. And um, so we do all the forecasting, that a like, cash forecasting there. Um,
1: gotcha. So that's... And has it actually been helpful? Like, do you think it's, it's, um, is it, is it useful to, to do all that stuff? Do you think the, the forecasts will be reasonably accurate or how, how do you think about that? Well, so,
2: so we've been using him and various incarnations of this, uh, app that he's got for three years, four years, something like that. So we've got we've got the entire history of the, like what the forecast has predicted along with how it actually performed. And it's been pretty spot on for like every month. Gotcha. So I trust that a lot. Um, obviously like the forecast can't um, the very, there are no like global pandemic variables in the forecasting spreadsheet that like it knows about, but like um, the nice part is being able to like play out, like we'll graph multiple scenarios like, OK, if we're completely flat on growth for the next year, what does that look like? If we hire three more people, what does that look in and, and the dates that we hire them? What does that look like? And All that kind of stuff. So it's helpful.
1: As you're talking to customers, like is one of the things that they're interested in, like I immediately thought of your forecasting tool and your benchmarks tool to be honest, like that's the first thing I went to once all this stuff happened. I was like, okay, I just need to kind of like get us, I I know that it doesn't account for a pandemic, but I just wanted a sense of like, okay, based on historical and what we're seeing right now, what what, what does this kind of look like and mean? Um, are folks mostly interested in that stuff or are, they, are a lot of people just like still looking at these other metrics you provide, which is, okay, how's MRR doing compared to, Last month, and uh, sorry, I'm adding a lot in here. But how are you telling people to look at all that data?
2: It it kind of depends on what what you traditionally um, have the most luck with when it comes to growing. So there are some companies that are fantastic about um, the churn side of things. So like, and they're and they're able to easily affect it and or maybe there's a lot of low hanging fruit there. So if that's the case, then like focus on churn and getting that down. How if you're in the like low single digit monthly churn right now, chances are you're not going to be able to make a big impact if you focus on that. But if you're at like 25% churn, like there's probably something you can do. Um yeah. so I would pay attention to that. You know, otherwise people have there's other companies who have uh no problem like getting huge influxes of of customers um or generating these like you know having some sort of one off sale or whatever and like getting a big influx of of cash then like okay do that um but pay attention to those numbers that you've historically been able to impact um more strongly than others
1: yeah that's interesting like the you're right like for some folks in some industries and some business models it just makes sense to shore up churn but other companies um you know uh, convertkit and buffer are probably some of them that have used open metrics they will always have some churn just in their business like you know you can get it down to a certain number but then you're probably not going to be able to get it past <laughs> you know uh, a certain threshold it's just going to always be there Beyond that, so if you're kind of looking at, let's say you have a metric that you're kind of always thinking about, right? Like MRR or like for me uh, so far the the metric I really care about the most is MRR. And then I'll, you know, I'll, I'll check in on churn every once in a while, but generally I just want to know how's MRR doing. Is there anything else you think people should be paying attention to if they've only been focused on, you know, two numbers but not thinking about some other things? Like is there leading indicators that are like, eh, like be careful here?
2: So to me, I think trends are a thing that I I personally think are really important. Um and you know, taking looking back as far as you can. So like what I'll do a lot is look at our MRR graph from the beginning of time and um, and then, you know, have that set to this like monthly view. So like each dot on the graph is a month instead of like days. And you'll, you'll be able to see like visually check out when you've had some, some, uh, you know, like a, a different sort of angle in the graph essentially. So like, when does it look like it's pointing up more than just flatlining? And then try to pinpoint, okay, well, like, what did we do in that month or those months um, that had a big effect? And can we repeat that? Um, so, like, that's one way to sort of use that day. I mean, the the it's hard to, I think, like, leading indicators are a little difficult. Um, you know, you can look at churn and see if there's, like, seasonal stuff, um, which happens to be... The, you know, the case sometimes. To me, like with like uh, podcasting, I imagine there's a decent number of people who have thought, let's start a podcast because I'm stuck at home or whatever.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I should be transparent. Like so far, our numbers are still looking pretty good. So we're still in the last 30 days, we're up 11. MRR is a up up month over month, 11%. Um, net revenue is down, which I've noticed from a few other folks too, it's down 8%. Um, but that chart goes, if you look at that chart, it goes up and down forever. Like it's, it's always kind of zigzaggy. And so, yeah, the way we've been thinking about it is, you know, growth is still happening. And in some ways we're just kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop because, there's this feeling that, they, you know, eventually people like they were, let's say the first wave hit restaurants and, you know, service business, local service businesses first. Yeah. And then the second wave came pretty quick, which is like, you know, other companies, including tech companies that were just, you know, um, very, um, for whatever reason, were fragile. They closed up shop. And then I have heard, you know, from friends and stuff that there's some companies that are down, some companies that are up. But (laughs) it feels like all like Jordan Gall right now is saying cart hook, like this e-commerce add-on he has, is just had its best month last month. But all of us are kind of like, but the like just like a tsunami, there's other waves that can come in here. And just because you're at higher ground right now it doesn't mean forever <laughs> and i'm almost wondering like is there do you just not notice until it's
2: happening um i think I, I think it's very difficult to look at data and see it or like get a sense for it um i think it's like that's where you really have to look at qualitative stuff so so this is um where like so like in Bear metrics, we have this cancellation insights tool where we'll collect feedback during a cancellation. And there was a noticeable time where like we could read that people were listing like coronavirus as like their reason. And so, or like an increase in like people saying they're shutting their business down as the reason they're canceling. Um, and so like that, that from a leading indicator perspective is where like you can start seeing like, mm something like there's some new things going on here that we don't historically see um, and so that's where it's sort of like like listening to like the reasons that customers give for stuff um becomes a lot more useful than trying to um you know grok something from like data points on a graph
1: yeah, yeah, like everybody wants this magical graph, but even if even if you had a, an impressive model um that could predict what would happen. I mean <laughs> I mean if you had that they, model you still would still don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> and if you had that model you'd be selling it to the government for like billions of dollars. So, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, you still don't know why, yeah, exactly. The the you can kind of that qualitative part is interesting actually. It it, it kind of shows that the the stuff that you see on the ground and that your customers are, support folks see on the ground is yep. that's the most important stuff, right? Cuz they 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 see it first. That that's where you really get a sense of okay, <laughs> what's really happening? And then, you know, you might see it reflected in your graphs later. I always it, like a dumb metric I have is just how many customer support tickets are we getting? And so far that's been positively qual- correlated with um, increases in revenue. So when we have more tickets, we're making more money. Yeah. That might not be true forever, <laughs> but up until now, that's been true because it just means more people are starting podcasts and have pre sign up questions and then support questions. But yeah, it's, it's and then, uh, you know, when I check my, barometrics graphs later it's like oh yeah that that actually did make a difference we had more people interested and certainly you know the next thing that shows up is new trials and the next thing that shows up is conversions and then mrr
2: what do you guys use for support
1: we use kayako um which we you know they're okay i think we've been we've been um Thinking about switching, and this is another interesting thing. I wonder if more SaaS companies need to to think about right now is, you know, if you're still going to the office every day, or you're working from home, and like because we've had this thought of ah maybe we should switch off Kayako. We've had this for months, and we've checked out Help Scout. We think that's what we're probably going to go with, but. The idea of switching that over and having the time to do that is like, nah, that's gonna take too long. But now, all of a sudden, it feels like wow, well, that might be a good quarantine project. You know,
2: we literally did that this past week.
1: Did you? <laughs> Switch switched from who to who?
2: Intercom to Help Scout. Mm. Inter, Intercom's charging us shy of a thousand dollars a month, and uh, and it's just insane. Yeah, I mean, like. We've been using Intercom on some level since we started BareMetrics, but like it's every like we were, I I think like, and I, I love the people at Intercom, but like it's gotten out of hand on the cost stuff. Like we were, they had this new product, um, I forget what they're called, but like basically like product tours, like where you can, you know, basically set up like walking through customers through a tour of your product with little tool tips and stuff. And we were kicking the tires on it. And then we were like, what would pricing be for this? And it was going to be $500 a month. And it was like, guys, no, you can't keep doing that. Like that's out of hand on the pricing. It's just, that's certifiably insane. And so that was the last straw for us. And like, it's keeping costs down in there is, takes so much work of like purging old customer accounts and then like that requires then that like removes some of the value because then we can't you know get access to like reaching out to these customers who have messaged us a couple of years ago or something like that just because we're trying to our to keep our bill from being a thousand dollars a month for this thing.
1: Yeah, I wonder if we're going to see a lot more uh, rethinking of okay. Let me set this in context because uh, uh, this is a little bit unfair because I've been on one side of this debate. the The charge more mantra of let's maximize how much should you charge? Well, as much as people will pay, um, which is, you know, I've been, I've been digging into neoliberalism a lot lately as a very neoliberal concept, right? Like you, you charge as much as the market will bear and it's almost sure. completely divorced from um, any sort of human connection, right? Like if someone yeah. signs up for your $5,000 course, but puts it on their credit card that they're paying 25% interest on, that's okay because that's what the market will bear. And yeah, granted, I'm I'm cynical about some of this stuff. And, um, you know, for intercom, it, it, it's, it's not a huge, uh, secret that they make a lot of their money from big companies and and sure. enterprise, and you know, ratcheting up your pricing there not only makes sense, like you probably should, because that's just the way that you know those, those uh, it works there, but you can see that for like regular small businesses, this idea of just maximizing what people will pay without any other kind of consideration, um, yeah, it's just it has an effect and um and when you're making small businesses you know work a lot harder to keep using your product just to make it affordable there's like that 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 treadmill you get on even with mailchimp or something um, <laughs> where it's like you have to remove contacts and then you know uh like remove them remove them and now there's all sorts of add-ons you can get so that they clean them out it's like this is ridiculous and I wonder if we're going to see some rethinking on the way folks have done pricing. Because there's definitely some bills I have, like my annual card subscription, you know, C-A-R-R-D.co. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like 19 bucks. Yeah. I'm not even thinking about that right now. But I am thinking about our Href's subscription because it's like 100 and some bucks a month. Um, Yeah, What do you think any of that... will
2: come true or do you think i think the problem is like where where this where there's a disconnect are like okay so like intercom um is an enterprise focused company Mm -hmm. they may not say that they certainly don't like really make that clear from a marketing perspective Mm -hmm. but their entire sales process at this point and then and pricing Implies that they're an enterprise focused company. That's fine, but like, where it gets really painful, or when companies make or they're transitioning from helping like, um, you know, small and medium sized businesses, and then they they want to go up market. Okay, well, like, how can you do that without completely ruining your brand? So, like, I have the same feeling about Clearbit. So, like, we were Bearmetrics was the was the first Clearbit customer. Um years and years ago and uh and we they cut a sweet deal over the years um to 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 make it affordable for us um as like because we were kind of using it in an atypical manner Mm -hmm. um but this past year like we had to renegotiate that and like we were firmly in a sales process where like we have to pay by like wire transfer now and like it's uh, we pay quarterly like they want to pay annually but i push back hard on that. But like, you know, our bill for that, um, was like quadrupled. And so now it's like tens of thousands of dollars a year. And like that whole process of them transitioning our account from working with this small medium sized business to like treating us like an enterprise customer, which is like their entire process now is like hardcore sales enterprise stuff. Um, like I hate, I, I hate that with all of my being, and so yeah. So from so from a brand perspective, I don't I don't have warm fuzzies about Intercom or Clearbit anymore, um, yeah, <laughs> because of my own personal experience. But that doesn't mean that like they're making bad decisions or that like from a business perspective that they won't be really successful. I'm sure they will make a crap ton of money. They are making crap tons of money. Um, but it's like what it depends on what you're going after, right? Like. What game do you want to play in the business world? And certainly on the intercom side and on some level on the clear bit side, like they have to keep going big. And so they're going to keep going big. And that's going to, that's going to like screw a bunch of the little people along the way. But I don't know how you really avoid that.
1: Yeah. This actually reminds me of something you told me early on when I was wrestling with some of this stuff. Which was, you you basically said the same thing. Like, what what kind of people do you want to serve? Like, it's if you, Justin, if you want to just sell people podcast hosting for nineteen dollars a month, and those are the kinds of customers you want to serve, you should do that because, the, you know, the work is going to be so much more fulfilling. Um, and I think what I was wrestling with at the time is we have, especially in bootstrapping circles. These kind of um, <laughs> you know laws of of bootstrapping that have been passed down from from other folks, and I was like, oh, but if I'm not maximizing everything, if I'm not charging you know two ninety nine a month, then I'm uh, I'm not doing it right. And you know, it turns out for me uh, that's been true. Like serving those nineteen dollar customers is way more enjoyable to me then uh i've had to i've i've dipped my toes in a little bit of enterprise sales stuff and oh my gosh like i just i love those people at those companies that i interact with but the process is just not very fun and it's way more fun helping a local chamber of commerce set up their first um podcast or uh there's a, a another gal that called me and she's in a government agency but they ha- they're just super locked down in terms of their budget and she was just so excited to you know figure out how to get her microphone and how to record and and edit in audacity and i spent so much time with her because the work was fulfilling and i was you know it was enjoyable um so yeah it it seems that um <laughs> and of course i like i've got a uh, the decisions you make determines kind of what game you play like if if all of a sudden the the prosumer market that we play in um really gets affected then you know we got to ride that train uh <laughs> well i guess we can always get off the train but you know what i mean like you kind of you're on the train you you're riding and uh there's pros and cons to both
2: but putting myself in the shoes of like the CEOs of these other companies that have gone up market like I can see, I can certainly see the perspective of, well, let's see how big we can get this thing. Mm -hmm. But I, I see the appeal of that, um, from almost like a uh, from a curiosity perspective. Yeah, you know. But I mean, I think you can define it's 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 having different definitions of of what the word success means, and does making a, a massive amount of revenue. Is that success? I don't, I mean, for some people, sure, that's exactly what that is. So, you know, if you want to go that route, then great. Or, like, maybe getting a, a, a customer who, like, 10,000 people at the company will be using your software is, you know, that's a ton of new users, um, then great. Like, that's that's a certain measure of success. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I don't I fault people for wanting to do that. I can see the the appeal. But, like... It's still that doesn't you're still going to have like some um, issues along the way with when you're when you're making that that kind of transition. But but also it also opens the um, opportunities up for other people to come in and serve those markets in different ways.
1: Well, and that's and that's kind of so this is something else I was wondering is, you know, there's a lot of companies that got started in the last recession. and the you know mailchimp itself was started in a recession do you think those are the kinds of companies we're going to see folks starting now or you know folks looking to take a bite out of intercoms business um things like that
2: sure i mean i yeah like anytime i think you, anytime a company goes up market somebody has to replace it on the downside of that right like mm-hmm. um inevitably someone will come in with something some sort of more cost-effective way of handling this kind of stuff. Um, I mean, I think, because I think there's a couple of different things here. So um, we've traditionally seen lots of, you know, people using lots of different products. Um, So you get a bit of like tool fatigue, Mm -hmm. but then that also gets really expensive to pay for all those tools, especially when some of those tools start going up market. And mm-hmm. so it's, it, it becomes um, – you get tired of using lots of different tools and paying for all of them. Mm-hmm. So I think what you'll see is like there are more people or more companies creating a suite of tools that solves uh, a larger sort of array of problems for companies. Um, and even if they're not as full-featured, um, it becomes like this – it's it's one app to use instead of a dozen, and it usually is a lot cheaper, and it gets the job done, while reducing like the tool fatigue and the like constant price sort of struggles that happen.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're ratcheting up. Yeah, I mean, looking from the outside, it seems like the companies that are doing well right now are all of the e-commerce platforms, including like digital e-commerce, like Gumroad and uh, Podia. But also traditional e commerce like Shopify and Square. Uh, You know, they are seeing tons and tons of people sign up as they rush to try to like, you know, sell something online basically. And then you're seeing other platforms that enable that kind of work. So, ConvertKit would be in that, you know, in that. category as well to a certain extent transistor is you know anything where people can create something online and have some sort of presence online and maybe have a new path to revenue yeah and who knows how long that's going to last but you know some of those companies like Podia offers everything they offer you know we're going to be your billing platform we're going to be your course uh uh storage platform we're going to be your, uh, email platform, your messaging, they have, they have, uh, messaging like intercom style messaging. They have like everything. They're just trying to put it all in one spot and cut as many of those other bills as you have, which is attractive. If you're, you know, you're, you're trying to start something up and you just have to keep layering on new tools to get what you want. Uh, that there is something about that, that is, uh, yeah not not just gives you fatigue, but even <laughs> I'm sure you've experienced this too actually, with all your e commerce work, but I was trying to help this local coffee shop and my friend who runs the skateboard shop get online and so we're we're going through the square online process, right. and there are it's amazing these companies with very low margins you know the restaurant business is 5 to 10% and uh skateboard retail is 30 to 50% if you're lucky how much money they pay for services like there's it you know the coffee shop owner was saying oh you know there's a a company that will you know they'll put my make my website into a, an app and i'm like okay well how much is that and i'm like you should, probably shouldn't do that it's not going to be a good Solution for you, but it was two hundred dollars a month. I was thinking, man, that's expensive for a a a small brick and mortar store to be going with that. And there's a lot of things in e commerce, especially that are like that. Like if you want, you know, this functionality, well, you've got to pay an extra fifty bucks a month, and it seems like there's an opportunity there for especially the existing platforms to say well let's reduce some of that <laughs> let's let's just you know if you're paying uh, another example would be you know i pay memberful to be the billing platform for my my discourse uh forums and you've actually told me in the past like justin just get rid of that but it's just so convenient right now to have it but if dis- if discourse Automatically, you know, had a, a platform, or if even to be frank, if DigitalOcean introduced payments and just made it easy for me to have it all on one bill, I'd probably do it just because it simplifies things and I don't have this other thing on top.
2: I mean, it, so it's a bet that we're taking with Bear Metrics. Um We're we're rolling out a, like a new product at the end by the end of the month mm-hmm. that to tackle some of the messaging stuff. Um, so I think for us, it's like, you know, we use, I don't even know at this point, dozens of different tools and just got tired of it. And a lot of it, we found ourselves like piping in bare metrics data into a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was like, well, let's just, we've got a ton of the data that people would need for this kind of stuff. So let's build it inside bare metrics.
1: Yeah. So you mean like in it, in app
2: messaging, well, sort uh, like automated. Uh, like right now, we're not doing like any in app. I think I think that people um, are burnt out on like the little in app pop up thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, most people just like from a marketing perspective, at least. Uh, yes. I think it's different for support, right? Like people want yes, it's like live chat kind of stuff is great, right there on the site. Yeah, but using an in app pop up to like market some new feature um i don't think anybody pays attention to it like you know yes certainly some people will respond but like for the most part you've got this like ad blindness kind of thing like there's this like in-app blindness thing going on where people just close that stuff instantly or like they've got some browser add-on that blocks it to begin with um so right now we're all in on if like email side of things so but like being able to say like uh, automatically emailing uh, new trials or when someone upgrades or when someone cancels or when someone hits a certain MRR point or LTV point where it's mm-hmm. like, you know, once they become a high value customer, whatever that definition is for you, send an email or a chain of emails, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's an, that's a really interesting space that has suffered from um oh, like in the old days, When I was working for SaaS companies, um, and by old days, I mean, I started in 2008, so not super old, but old enough. In the old days in 2008, we were like, why? You know, we've got a bunch of information about people in our CRM, and then we have a bunch of information about people in our billing system, and then we have a bunch of information about people in our email newsletter platform, and then you know, we started adding other things, too, like, oh, you know, maybe we should try Mixpanel. So then we got Mixpanel. And these things are all separate, and you can glue them together. Um, and then on the messaging side, it feels like most SaaS companies have at least three regular ways they reach their customers. Um, and this is true for transistors. So some of our system emails get sent from the Ruby on Rails app through Mailgun or something. Right. Some of our customer communication happens through Mailchimp and some of our customer communication happens through these triggered emails in Mixpanel. Yep. And uh yeah, that's that's a that's a interesting space and I think some of the trouble other folks have had when they've tried to tackle the messaging piece is that they don't have all of that customer data Uh, Like you do, I guess. Like the knowing, okay, this is what you know. This is how much MRR they've done. This is if they've upgraded or not. Um, The the one thing that it feels like you'd be missing is uh, some of these events. Like we have an email that goes out when you published your first episode. We'll
2: we'll solve that too.
1: Gotcha. So you're gonna you're gonna have event uh, event uh, triggers in there. Tracking. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, because that that'll be. Um, there is an opportunity there for sure. When we were building, uh, you know, I, I begged John to, to build these, you know, uh, to, to help put these event, um, what do you call these? These event scripts into our, our app for Mixpanel. And, yeah. and all of the docs were from like 10 years ago. <laughs> he was like, okay, here, here's the Ruby on Rails implementation. He's like, whoa, these, there's, uh, these are some pretty old, uh, documents here. Pretty old. interesting so that that's gonna launch next month you said
2: i mean we're like we're beta testing it with people now um and we're getting you know trying to figure out how this plays into the i mean talking about pricing like you know it's a it's ultimately an add-on but like it the goal is not for this to be like some like okay if you're paying you know a thousand dollars with intercom then we'll charge 800 for it like it's not like Mm -hmm. we're trying to just like slightly undercut like Mm -hmm. uh, those are like very full-featured things and we're our goal is not to like completely rebuild those kinds of tools um but instead it's like we feel like most people don't need all that functionality but they still end up paying for it yeah so we're saying well now that's like you can get less functionality (laughs) that's it seems weird to put it that way but like you're getting a simplified solution to your problem mm-hmm. and you're getting it all in one place and you can see all the connected dots. Because then you'll be able to do things like graph, like, okay, people that I've sent X messages to, we see an increase in LTV from them. That, like, was,
1: that was exactly what I was thinking. I was like, oh, this would be... Compare that stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, that would be interesting. And LTV would be, it, it's, a, it's a long-term metric. Like you would want to be tracking it over... You know, many, many months uh, to get it somewhat reasonable, right? But that would be interesting to go, okay, let's implement this test right now (laughs) and see if it makes a difference.
2: Because you could also do things like tracking um, emails to trials, to people who are trialing, and see like what the actual dollar value is of a given campaign, because you'd be able to track conversions from it. So, um, it's it's not just like let's put this tool let's like shove this messaging tool inside this existing product it's like okay there's actually an opportunity to um to increase like the overall value where uh you know something like an existing messaging tool can't compete on that because they don't have all the the like high level business reporting stuff
1: that, mm-hmm. that we've got. yeah 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 and the the having the the financial stuff is actually the because that's the stuff you have to bolt on in mixed panel, right? Or even in Google Analytics, you're always just guessing. You you assign it the, the, the,
2: some arbitrary value,
1: yeah. And you know what? This is what gets like folks who are starting out with marketing or whatever. It confuses them because in your mind you think, oh, it must be so sophisticated. Like, folks must be, like, (laughs) really, like... But it turns out it's just, like, you just assign this value of, like, well, this action is probably worth about, you know, this amount. 20 bucks. Yeah. It's (laughs) like, this is... These are the most blunt... This is a, a very blunt instrument to be using here where, yeah, if you have a platform that has all that historical data... You can actually say, no, this made a difference for all these customers in this way.
2: Well, but you can even track like the types of customers, like, okay, this this did a really good job for our high LTV customers, but performed terribly with the, the low end customers. Mm-hmm. Um or this email, you know, generated up tons of upgrades between plans A and B, but like didn't do anything for B to C. Mm-hmm. So you know, you can you can get a lot more fine grain with that that stuff when it's all in one place.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's great, man. That that sucks. So you you get light, you you folks really crank stuff out. <laughs> like you've got a lot of these kind of all in one features. Is that kind of the idea? Is like you just want to keep building this kind of suite all on, under one banner, so that you're building in some resilience there. Is that is that part of the plan?
2: That's part of the plan and also not like we'll eventually like second thing that we're sort of working on is the ability to be a lot more sort of a la carte. So maybe, maybe you like the, some sort of like free metrics that you're getting somewhere else for, you know, even if it's like doesn't have as much data, but like you just want to know some really top level numbers. Mm -hmm. So you get those for free from somewhere else. Okay. But like you don't, you really want to use like the cancellation insights tool or like, the revenue recovery stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, then, like you could use just those items and not use the metric stuff. Yeah. Um, so, letting you sort of like almost like yes, you can use them all together. There's a lot of value in using them all together. Um, but if you want to use these as a standalone products, you'll be able to do that too.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good move. There, there is definitely a, and you're in an interesting spot because. So, I'm guessing a lot of your customers are small. Is are most of your customers small or small businesses? Are you are you in the enterprise tier as well?
2: No, yeah, we're we're definitely like in the SMB space. Um, we push to try. I mean, the fact that you we don't really have like a free plan automatically segments out a lot of the really tiny, um, like brand new customers mm-hmm. uh, or brand new businesses. Um, but, you know, we're still have like very much in the S&P space.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which could, I mean, this is the other thing for you is that if there's a, who knows what's going to happen? I'm just guessing. And some of this is just me, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, uh, projecting what I want to happen in the world. What I want to happen in the world is the, Recession creates all of these new small businesses that are, you know, people are starting things because they've got time and they've got nothing to lose. Because I just love small businesses. I think small businesses are, I think they're one of the most important pieces in the economy, Uh, in our day-to-day lives. These are the people we actually relate to and have relationships with. There could be a huge, well, huge, there could be a big new crop of, subscription businesses that get started right now. I wonder, I wonder how that will work out when uh, maybe to kind of close off here. Cause I know you, you do some stuff on the side and it seems like you encourage that with your team too. Like you have team members yeah. that you're, you're fine with side projects. Totally. I, I wonder if we should talk a little bit about side projects as a form of resilience And I don't want to name any names, but there are some fairly well-known remote-first companies that don't allow their employees to have uh, paid side projects, like side projects where they make money. I always felt like that was just kind of uh, cruel. Because for me personally, you know, like Mega Maker is a good example. I started this this community back in 2013 when I was still, you know, working a full-time job. And, you know, that first year it made maybe $20,000 extra. But that $20,000 extra was a huge deal for my family and I. Um, You know, it bought a lot of diapers. And now, and over the years I've wondered if I should, you know, maybe stop doing it because, you know, transistors my full-time thing. But I was looking at it in the past uh, twelve months. Megamaker's done about forty thousand dollars in revenue, and even though Transistor's doing okay right now, I just remember being so thankful for that. <laughs> that like, okay, I've got something else, you know. There, there, I'm all my eggs aren't in just in one bucket, and I wonder if any of that resonates with you and and the way you've you know thought about it for Barometrics and your team.
2: So. I don't look at side projects as so like the way that we do side projects is you can have them. You can certainly make money for them. That's all encouraged. I'm happy to sit and like give you feedback on all like how you can make more money from those. Like um, mm-hmm. what I don't want people to be in a position is to do is where they feel like they have to do something to supplement their salary because they're not getting paid enough Um I think that's where you end up with some sort of like you end up with the conflict of interest um yeah. so I think, and I mean I look at that the same way with the my own personal side projects um I don't take any like I don't use any of the money that I make from that uh for our salary. it all just stays in a business account for all those side projects is,
1: is any of that resilience for you or is it is it mostly just like for you to have a break from the computer world
2: because you do a lot of physical product kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, it's, it's more to give my brain, um, something else to, to, to chew on besides running a company. Um, yeah. it's like, it, it lets me like flex the creative side. Um, so that's, that's what it is for me, but I, mean, I think everybody's kind of got a different sort of motivation for why they have some sort of little side project or whatever. But I mean, and I think this is the case. So like, at, um, like convert kit, for instance, they don't want you have an aside project for things that are related to the work that you do with convert So mm-hmm. I think that's totally valid because um, well, that's not the case here, but I mean, certainly can see the perspective on that because part of the benefit of a side project is like letting you get experience the world outside of what it is that you do all day. Yeah. So, you know, it's like for me, it's like making like concrete home decor like introduces me to this entire world of um, you know, people who are making handmade stuff. It's like doing local farmers' markets, introduces me to people that I would never ever meet in the SaaS world. And um, so it's like exposing me to all these different sort of, you know, worldviews and um different types of businesses and like all that stuff ultimately makes people well rounded um and keeps them from being burned out. So that's not to say that, like, like pre metrics before I had anything that really took off, I had my hand in a lot of different baskets for resiliency purposes where it's like, okay, I've got five different products or ten different whatevers um, so that I, I'm i not betting everything on one thing that just, you know, hopefully doesn't hit the fan. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. uh, just spreading things around, diversifying. And um, so I certainly know yeah. That's how I
1: think Yeah, I mean, that's a it is a hard conversation. <laughs> because the, I I think again, cynically, I've just viewed any sort of restriction on what people do in their spare time as handicapping or potentially handicapping yeah. them. And that would be fine if you could you could convince folks with a hundred percent certainty <laughs> that you know you're always gonna be there for them as their employer. Um And that what I wouldn't want to do, although I'm not in this position right now, so I I can't really, like we, it's just John and I, we have no, we have two contractors, but no employees. But I don't want to do is restrict people from creating their own platform. You know, all those years, you know, I was kind of gradually year after year building my own platform. If at any point, you know, that... That first company I worked for, they're gone. They they closed down. And yeah. if if I had just stayed committed to like, okay, no, I'm just gonna give these folks everything and I'm gonna, you know, just not start a podcast and not blog and not try to write a book and sell it and not, you know, whatever else, it would have been I would have missed out on it took a long time, but I would have missed out on this gradual building up of you know the connections and skills and everything else that uh i have now and i mean if i was an employee right now i would definitely be thinking about okay now's the time to build in some resiliency in my life and have something else even if it is just fun like uh I, like if you if you were no longer doing barometrics would you would you just go full tilt into you know, cedar and sale or, you know, what do you think you would do?
2: Yeah. Uh, I, yes, I would just make weird stuff forever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so I, I, I I played around with the real possibility of this last year when we almost sold the company, like I, in my head, I had, I was in that spot of like, okay, what am I going to do now? I'm just going to like make stuff forever. (laughs) So, I mean, like that's, That's what I would ultimately do. And, you know, it's just metrics like took off. And so like that's I'm also doing that now, too. So, dude, if you if
1: you if you could go full tilt on the concrete stuff, you would be able to make way weirder stuff,
2: right? Because totally or like the laser tweet stuff, like, yeah, all the things that I could put on a piece of wood. Yeah. Just give me the time. Yeah,
1: you can because then you you would also give yourself some license to just be more eccentric, right? right. <laughs> like right now yep. you're making all these interesting spaces, but they also have this like, okay, it's going to be a planter or or a coaster or whatever. But like, there's some crazy stuff you can build with uh, concrete. Yep. It might not be all shippable, but L- Laser Tweets was definitely a, a shipping innovation, Josh, <laughs> 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 Com- compared to Cedar and Sail. <laughs> oh well it's good talking to you man i uh good to hear your voice glad glad you're doing well
2: same dude i'm glad we got the chat we should do this more
1: uh yeah folks that want to check out josh's stuff cedarandsale.com, and dot barometrics.com now is probably a good time if you don't have some good metrics for your your SaaS or your recurring revenue business to sign up and pull in that stuff it, it'll pull in historical data right yeah, right. so if you've been using Stripe this whole time, just sign up, it'll pull suck everything in and give you all these graphs you can look at. And then it's it's Tweets lasertweets.co. That's right. Yeah. And I'm I'm a happy customer. I got a I got a James Clear tweet uh, laser laser engraved and uh, look at it every day. It's really nice. People and it's the it's the only actually the only Piece in our house, besides uh, Mark Johns, is another artist, but it's the only art in our house that people comment on. <laughs> They're like, oh, this is nice. Oh. Oh, look hey, man, what, this, you, this
2: what, nice. What, what you need is some Kanye West coasters. Yes. And then people really ask about that <laughs> stuff. Oh,
1: that's great. Okay. Thanks again, Josh.
2: Hey, thanks, Justin. Have a good one, man.
1: All right, so that was Josh Pigford. If you like that, reach out to him on Twitter. He's at shpigford. And uh, definitely check out his other side projects, Cedar and Sail and the other things. John, why don't we thank our lovely Patreon supporters? Right.
0: As always, thanks, everyone. Uh, we have Sophia Quintero, Diogo, Chris Willow, Mason Hensley, Borja Soler, Ward Sandler, Eric Lima, James Sowers, Travis Fisher, Matt Buckley, Russell Brown, Evandro Sassi, Freddie Yumna Schimbecker, Noah Prale, Robert Simplicio, Colin Gray, Josh Smith, Ivan Kirkovic, Brian Ray, Shane Smith, Austin Loveless, Simon Bennett, Michael Sitver, Paul Jarvis, and Jack Ellis, uh, Dan Buda, my brother, Darby Frey, Samori Augusto, Dave Young, Brad from Canada, Sammy Schugert, Mike Walker, Adam Devander, Dave Junta. Junta, a lot a lot of good feedback about last episode. Yeah, people enjoyed people enjoyed that. You
1: know what they really liked, which surprised me, is Dave got went kind of into therapy mode at the end there, <laughs> and was asking us all of these probing questions. Yeah. And it, I
0: think that's yeah, I think that's mentor Dave.
1: Yeah, that was that was uh that was good. Funny to have an intermediary like that who's yeah uh, kind of TikTok in between us. It was good.
0: Absolutely. And uh yeah, and finally Kyle Fox from GetRewardful.com. Thanks everybody. We will see you next week.
1: Podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm Justin and get 15% off your first
0: year.